Hello, friends, and welcome to Robcast, episode 121. And this is part six of a wisdom series uh, that I've been doing. And this episode is called Talking About Talking. And uh, we're going to cover all sorts of ground. Uh, you know, I should probably tell you, if you hear me uh, pause and, you know that thing when you're on an airplane and the altitude's adjusting and you, like, you force a yawn to, like, get your ears to pop? If, uh, actually, you probably won't be able to hear it, but if you hear me pause on this episode, it's because I have a swimmer's ear and it's from um, surfing and swimming and uh, so I have had this sense like, man, like all this stuff in my ears just feels terrible. So I've been to the urgent care um, down the street like three times in the past couple months. And each time they give me a stronger antibiotic, which just isn't working. Um, I don't even want to use antibiotics. I want to be on natural, but it's like anything to get rid of this feeling. So I go to, <laughs> I go into the urgent care and the doctor is asking me these questions and I'm like, yeah, I'm in the water. I'm swimming, I'm surfing. And he says, wait, where do you surf? And I tell him, and he says, you know that there was like a huge sewage spill near there and that the ocean along that section of beach is like the E. coli levels are through the roof. He's like, it's basically like a giant toilet. And <laughs> I immediately start laughing because I had had this feeling like my ears were all clogged up. And I've been saying to Kristen, I just, if I got all this crap in my ears, I got to go to the doctor. <laughs> and then I go to the doctor and he's basically like, yeah, you, you got crap in your ears. Um, and I don't know why, that's funny. I don't care who you are, that is funny. So... Uh, let me adjust my ears. There we go. And uh, now let's talk about talking. Because in the wisdom tradition, there are all of these verses about words. And not just, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, that sort of words thing. Um, but the deeper elemental realities surrounding how we use words. So, uh, Proverbs chapter 15, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Uh, chapter 13 in Proverbs, those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Now, here's why this is interesting. What you find in the wisdom tradition is a connection between words and spirit, between speech and life. So in the wisdom tradition, words, because we have these phrases, you know, it's just words, oh, they're just all talk. But in the wisdom tradition, words are directly related and deeply connected to the very elemental realities of life, spirit and soul, and life itself. And so the tongue is called a tree of life, like a source of vitality. So what I want to do is I want to explore this in, in three different ways. Uh, so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the materiality of words, because for many people, this is a new idea, the materi materiality of words. So I want to explain what that is and why that is so important and how it's, you already actually have experienced this. I just want to give it some language. So we're going to look at the materiality of words. Then second, uh, I want to introduce you to this idea of the framing nature of words. So materiality of words, then we're going to look at the framing nature of words. And then I want to talk about the generative power 
of words. Because in the ancient tradition, there's something happening with words that has a generativity to it. So I want to show you what that is, how you've already experienced it, and then just make a couple observations about what this means as you live and move and have your being. So first off, materiality of words. In the Hebrew language, the word for word is the word davar. The root is just D-V-R um, because there aren't like vowels in, in English, but the A's get supplied later. So what's really interesting is the word for word in Hebrew in the ancient tradition is also the same word as the word for thing. So davar translates words sometimes, other times it translates thing. And so in the Hebrew consciousness, in the wisdom tradition, words have substance to them. Words have materiality. So like the mystics believed that you would place words on somebody and that they would, uh, like the benediction was uh, you would gather and then somebody would say a benediction, would place words on you. May you go in peace. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And the idea was that those words would like hover over you and then they would follow you wherever you would go. Have you ever had somebody say something to you and it stuck with you for good or bad, for your benefit or for your destruction? And so in the ancient tradition, words have materiality. They have substance to them. And that substance actually alters things. And so how you speak and when you speak, you're actually creating things in space and time. Uh, when I was starting out, uh, and I've talked about this uh, before on the Robcast, I had this sense like the sermon was an art form and I needed to reclaim this art form, that that's what I was doing here, that I was here to reclaim this ancient, subversive, beautiful, poetic, dangerous, provocative, inspiring art form. And uh, so I was in a band and then the band broke up like bands do. And so I went to study theology. I went to get a master's of divinity. And part of my studies uh, is uh, I had to take a class in communication and all I cared about was giving sermons. So I was so excited. I had seen people give sermons and sermons for me had often raised the existential question, what's for lunch? You know what I mean? <laughs> it was just boring. It's like, this should be, this should be so thrilling. And yet, uh, I just had some sense like the, the sermon needed to be reclaimed. And there was some new way to talk about spirituality in the modern world. Um, but I hadn't really seen anybody do it. I just had this thing in my head, like there's, there's got to be some way to talk about the things that matter most, soul, spirit, grace. Uh, how do you forgive somebody who's wronged you? How, how do you subvert the system in a redeeming way? How do, you, how do you convert all your anger into beautiful acts of hope and compassion? Uh, <laughs> essentially all the things I talk about on the Robcast and do in my books, whatever. But early, I mean, I was 22, uh, I didn't know anybody talking about this and I hadn't seen it done in any way um, where I thought, oh, I want to I wanted do it like that. I had seen people who had elements where I thought, oh, I, I could take a bit of that. I could take a bit of that. I could assimilate a bit of that. It's like when you're young, uh, it's like you study 
everything. It's like a painter starting out, studies acrylic, oil, uh, watercolor, charcoal, does sketch drawings of the pencil. It's like you learn all the masters so that you can take the best of all of them and make something new on the other side that's you, that's your voice. Uh, but uh, I took this uh, communication class from this professor named Middies McDonald de Champlain, which, I mean, just the name alone. This woman, she was so awesome. And uh, I remember we were, everybody in the class, we took turns, we were supposed to give these presentations, like almost like mini sermons. And I remember I had this idea of something that I could do and I'd never seen anything do anybody do anything like it. It was like a it was like a spiritual truth, but I had a series of stories, and I had some sense like if I just brought the stories like scattershot, if I just brought them like like boom, 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 could I do the stories in such a way that the audience would start to get there was a point here, and then at the end I could just drop the point into the middle of the stories, and there'd be like this bang. It was almost like I had this sense of there's an architecture to how I want to do this little talk. And it was like a class, like a classroom for a professor. You know what I mean? But I had this like, I think there's a way to do this. I haven't seen somebody do it, but it could really be powerful. So I guess I should just try it. And I remember getting up in class and doing this little, you know, like seven minute mini sermon or something. And I'd never seen anybody do anything like that. And I'd never seen, I'd never seen somebody take like a biblical text and run it through that filter and give it that arc and trajectory. And um, there was like the tension and the release of tension. And there was almost like I had a, a theme or like I had a point that was my real point, but I wasn't going to say it, make it explicit. I thought if I could just lace these stories together and make this statement, people could pick up like a second and a third layer. So I was trying to do all of these things. Um, and you know that feeling when you're you're, you're young and you don't know a thing, but you have something burning in your heart. Um, you have, oh my word, I'm like choking up thinking about this. You have some sense. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You have an idea. You know there's some new way to do whatever it is. Whether you're a mom or you own a business or you tell stories or you have gardens, whatever it is that you do, you have some sense there's got to be a better way to do this. And you just start trying it, but there's this loneliness, this loneliness to innovation where you're like, man, why isn't everybody talking about this? But then you realize if everybody was talking about this, it would, that would be called normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wouldn't be new or it wouldn't be innovation. But I remember doing this talk and just being filled with like, like a rush of adrenaline, like I was scratching the surface of something that I was going to be exploring for years. Like I was just like, it's like I was discovering fire and I get done with the talk and I have like this, what just happened? Um, it was almost like you were like building a rocket and then you actually lit the fuse and it actually went into space for just a moment. And then it came back and crashed in your backyard and killed a dog or something. You know what I mean? It was like, you just had this brief moment of, uh, oh my word, that I could do something with this. 
this, this might, I might actually be onto something. And I get done and Mitty's McDonald D. Champlain, she looks me in the eyes and she says, you can take it farther. Oh, <laughs> you can take it farther. That was her response. It was like she understood what I was trying to do. And she wasn't like, oh, man, you're breaking the rules. And she wasn't like, come on, there's a way it's done. What are you doing? And she wasn't like, you young punk, what do you think? You can reinvent this thing? She was like, yeah, you can take it farther. This is what I mean by words have materiality. I carried that thing, she said. Honestly, I'm still carrying that sentence around. You know what I mean? Whatever I do, there's a joy, and I love the work, but I also, it's like 25 years later, her words are still with me, like, you can take it farther. Uh, Friday night, I was in Indiana at a school called CTS giving a lecture on politics, politics and spirituality, and I actually should probably do a podcast episode of the talk, and... It was such joy, and the crowd was so great. And then I was talking about the political process and Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and profit and theater and where we even get the word politics. I was all over the place, showing pictures and talking about brain, how the brain works. It was all, and yet it was so much fun, and yet there's like that voice, hey, you can take it farther. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody said something to you at some point and the words had a material essence to them. They like stuck with you. They, they were like traveling companions. Sometimes it's a bad thing somebody said and you're still carrying it around. Sometimes it's a good thing. Hey, you can take it farther. And it comes at just the moment when you needed it. There was this transformative moment in my life. It's like something opened up as wide as the universe and the depth of my being. Sometimes somebody is told you're fat, you'll never amount to anything, you're a loser, you've brought shame to our family, I never should have married you, you don't have what it takes. Yeah, sometimes people say things and it's not a tree of life. It's the other thing. And in the wisdom tradition, your words have extraordinary power because words are things. And words can open your heart up as wide as the universe. Words can be like fuel in the tank. And words can also be like scars. Words can, can like kneecap you and you're limping for years. So when someone says, ah, we're just talking, no, no. And the wisdom tradition is never just talking. Uh, it's never just talking. This is the power of a mantra. Um, it's essentially new materiality. Uh, a mantra, a phrase, a verse, a quote, a, a passage, a text, uh, a couple of words linked together. It's essentially a new materiality. It's saying you got a bunch of stuff rattling around in there that's not helping you. And so... Let's put some new words. Let's put some new things in your mind and heart. That's why often in these episodes, 
I, uh, I give you phrases, I give you words, mantras, verses, quotes, benedictions. Uh, it's because I believe words have a materiality to them. And I'm literally uh, give, trying to give you language like it's a thing that you can then carry around. Because you carry this around and, and these words, they shape you and they form you. Uh, there's a, uh, the great poet Rainer Rilke in, has this great line, to be here is glorious. <laughs> I've written that out more times. Uh, to be here is glorious. Yeah, you, you write that uh, in the walls of your living space. You, you write that on a piece of paper and put it in your pocket and carry it around. You get that tattoo, you know, forget barbed wire or some Japanese letter. You don't even know what it means. If you're going to do a tattoo, to be here is glorious. Now that's, that'll shape you. That'll form you. That's words as things that can do all sorts of new work in your mind and how that can shape you and form you. So in the wisdom tradition, when you speak, your words, your devars are things, and they have reality, they have materiality, they have essence, and, and you actually possess this kind of power. Now, let's move from the materiality of words to the framing power of words. One of the ways to think about words is in terms of architecture. And when you move in a space, your words are framing space. They actually talk in the ancient tradition about how the liturgy, the prayers, the songs, the confessions are, are like a cathedral of words. And so you enter in to the words. And what happens when you enter into them? Think about your favorite poets. Think about your favorite writers, your favorite novelists. Think about your favorite television shows. Think about it in terms of architecture. It's essentially like a space that you enter into or, or the television series that you've watched multiple times or the album that you keep returning to. Uh, it's like a space that you enter into and each time you enter into the cathedral of words, the cathedral of sound, the, the cathedral that is a marriage of uh, audio and visual, what happens is you see something new each time, just like a beautiful structure. You go into it and you look around and you see things you didn't see before. So what you find in the wisdom tradition is this framing power of words, because certain spaces affect you in certain ways and other spaces affect you in other ways. It's like you have that room in your house that you never go in and you got new furniture and you put nice art on the walls and you tried to make that room, but you, but you don't ever go there to read a magazine or to talk on the phone or to do whatever. There's these other spaces in your house um, or your apartment, wherever, you're, wherever you live, there are these spaces that you're drawn to that you actually do spend time in. It's because certain spaces create a certain kind of feel and that's where you want to be. And so words, if you think about it in terms of the framing power, the architecture of words, words have a way of framing things. If you are in business, the way that you talk about the meeting deeply affects the meeting itself. If you, if you live with other people, the way that you talk about your home, 
the way that you talk about your life together frames things. So like in the Proverbs, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Your words can literally frame a space so that it is a dangerous space, a space where people get wounded, or it is a space where there's healing and there's safety. Uh, Proverbs 4, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Because when you speak certain ways, it's shaping the space that you're in. Proverbs chapter 10, the lips of the righteous nourish people. Yes. So think about the conversations you've had where somebody says to you, I hate to waste your time. Think about that as the opening line of a conversation. I just hate to waste your time, which is essentially, uh, I want to talk to you, but it's probably going to be time that you'll never get back that will just vanish into a black hole of time and space. Where did you get the idea that you are wasting my time? Where did you get the idea that you, uh, how do you see yourself that low? Or how about this one? When someone says, I always screw things like this up. Oh man, I always screw things like this up. You do? For sure? Every time? Always? Are you sure? Do you see how you can frame an encounter? You can frame an experience? You can frame something you're about to do with your words and you can build a really nasty house just by the way that you frame it. You're framing your presence in a moment in this place at this time. You're shaping it through your actions, you're shaping it through your presence, and you're shaping it through your language. You know, I realize when I call you, I'm I'm always, you probably think of me as a bother, um, and I hate to bother you. Where did you ever get that idea? Words frame things. Words create boundaries. Words are like architecture. I, uh, uh, what day is it? This is Sunday, like four days ago, uh, a couple days ago, I was at uh, this yoga class in the neighborhood and this teacher, she's amazing. She does this really interesting thing. She, I've never had a, a yoga teacher who says about every pose and it's hot yoga. So you're just on, you're just sweating buckets, but she'd be like, this is where we are today. So now we're going to do this pose. There you go. Now, this is where we are today. This is where you are today. This is where you are today. So see, the thing is, when you realize that you can only go so far into a pose, uh, there's often this judgmental voice that kicks in, which is you should be more flexible, you should be more limber, why can't you stay perfectly still? Why is your monkey mind all over the place and you can't even stand on one leg for more than like five seconds? And then if you're, if you're not doing too well, you look over and as I, I would say, there's always a, a ballerina who can see her own butt. You know what I'm talking about? Those of you who've been to yoga, there's always somebody in the class who can like stick their head down through and up and around and see their own. There's always somebody who can bend over backwards and touch their toes with their elbows or whatever. There's always somebody more flexible. And if you look around in judgment of yourself and what you can't do, or in pride, because you can do something someone else can't, you, you've, you've lost the plot. And all... Uh, all my yoga teacher friends listening know exactly what I'm talking about. You have to begin from this place of non-judgment. Um, it's about your practice. This is about where you are. And this is about where you are today in this space. 
And what was so interesting to me is how this teacher had this masterful way of framing. And, and I've uh, been with lots of great yoga teachers, but this one had this particular phrasing, which is really framing, of framing the whole experience. Here we are today, we're fully present, we're in our bodies, we're in our minds, we're in our spirits. We're gonna do a number of poses and then you'd get into the pose and she'd say, well, this is where you are today. This is where you are today. And then she would say things like, today uh, you will be here, today you are here. So built into this framing language was all this possibility. It's almost like her framing language established you are on a trajectory, you are headed somewhere, and you're in this place, but obviously you'll continue to progress, and at some point you'll be a little farther along and a little farther along. And how many experiences have you been in or situations or meetings or families where the framing language was basically, you suck, it's amazing that you've gotten this far. Have you seen, if you pick this up in like all sorts of subtle ways, the ways in which people frame, this meeting's probably gonna be boring. There's a ton of stuff on the agenda, so we might as well jump in. You've already framed the thing in the language of despair and defeat. No wonder no one's inspired. The, it's, a ter it's terrible architecture. No one would wanna hang out in that space. But if, you, uh, if you're a parent, if you lead an organization, if you lead some creative project, if you have a business, if you have kids, ask yourself, how with my language do I frame things? Are there subtle ways in which I have kneecapped the thing before it ever started? Are there subtle ways that I have like let the air out of the whole thing and robbed people of their joy and inspiration and motivation before we ever started. I know you're tired of getting emails from me, but you've already framed the thing with your words in a way that's crushing everybody's spirits. And your language can be like a tree of life or it can crush the spirit. Uh, Kristen and I recently put out this audio uh, book on being a parent called Launching Rockets and uh, available at robbell.com. And in it, I talk about two kinds of parenting. There's this one kind of parenting, uh, which is when your kid uh, screws up, there's one kind of parenting that says, why do you always do that? And there's another kind of parenting that says, hey, uh, that's not what we do. That's not how we roll. See, when you say, why do you always do that? What your kid hears, and remember, a kid is in this incredibly precious, vulnerable stage of ego development. When you, as the parent, say, why do you always do that? What the kid hears is, who are you? See, that question is an identity question. Why do you always do that is, who are you? Who are you? And at the exact moment as a parent, when your kid is, it is most fragile trying to figure out who they are, you are actually calling into question their fundamental identity. Why do you always do that? That's how a kid hears that. The other kind of parenting is, hey, that's not how we do things. Hey, that's not how we roll. You're a bell. That's not how we conduct ourselves. W what you've done in that moment is you've announced to your kid who you believe they are. 
you have reminded them of their best self. You've essentially said, uh, that's not how we do things, which is, this is who we are, this is who you are, and that thing that you just did, you aren't being true to yourself. And so oftentimes what happens is a parent is wondering, why is my kid so messed up? Why is my kid seem so lost? Why does my kid do these stupid things? Sometimes the answer is your kid doesn't know who they are. They're desperately being blown all over the place trying to figure out who they are. And you have this power to frame their very space. And you can frame it with, who are you? Who are you? Why do you always do that? Or you can frame it with, I am here to announce to you who you are. And I'm going to keep telling you who I believe you are. And when you screw up, I'm going to keep announcing to you who you are. Think back on your own life. What has most motivated you? Somebody making long lists of all of the things that you aren't and constantly calling into question um, your goodness, your essence, your fundamental identity, or those moments when somebody said to you, I know who you are. You have greatness in you. That You have a unique contribution. Um, I'm glad you're here. And that thing you did, it isn't true to your true self. And so one of the powers of, of even being a parent or in any sort of uh, position of whatever you call authority or leadership or ownership or influence is when you frame things in terms of, I know who you are. I see your true self and I'm going to keep reminding you who I believe you truly are. And that is what it means for your words to be like a tree of life. So we've explored a bit the materiality of words. We've talked about the framing power of words. Uh, one more thing to wrap it up. I want to talk about the generative nature of words to create new worlds. Uh, I believe it was Heschel, uh, and by the way, you should probably read everything Abraham Joshua Heschel has ever, ever written, which might take a while. Uh, I believe it's Heschel who talked about how words create new worlds. Um, I, uh, I was going through a real rough patch years ago. Um, I essentially, I had sort of picked up along the way, you just work as hard as you can all the time and just keep working. And whatever you do, just show everybody that you're not lazy, that you can work harder than anybody. And it wasn't working for me. It wasn't sustainable and I was burning out. Literally, I had this horrific burnout, which I should probably talk about sometime on the podcast. And the doctor was like, you're, you don't have any adrenaline left in your body. <laughs> like you've literally cooked your body physiologically. Um, but I remember a friend of mine um, took me to lunch. And he, you know that friend who like can read your mail, who's like knows you and loves you so much, you actually want them to tell you the truth. You want them to tell you the unadulterated, pure, raw truth um, because they love you enough that you want to hear it from them. He takes me, uh, my friend takes me to lunch and we're sitting, uh, and I could take you to the table in the restaurant where we were. And he says, uh, and I was just cooked, just so tired. Just the bucket was just empty. I had nothing more to give. And he says, you don't have to live like this. I was like, yeah, I know. He's like, no, you don't have to live like this. And uh, I was like, yeah, no. He's like, no, seriously, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to live like this. 
you don't have to live like this. And at first I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And I'm gonna make some changes. I'm gonna take a brown ticket vacation. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back off a little bit. I'm gonna, I'm, and he's like, no, you don't have to live like this. And so at first I'm sort of whatever. And then he keeps repeating it and it starts to get awkward. Like, okay, I get it, I get it. And then he keeps repeating it. You don't have to live like this. And he just keeps repeating it. And so I'm sort of like, like, okay, yeah, got it. I'm with you. Yep, yep, gonna. But then somewhere in the, I don't know, seventh, eighth, ninth time he repeats it, I stop, pro- I, I run out of energy to protest. And I start to actually hear it, hear it. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you hear it with your brain, but then there's like that elevator drop to your heart. And I start hearing it. Like, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to live like this. And it like, it goes somewhere way in there and I get quiet and he just keeps going. <laughs> that, that's a friend, a friend who can repeat the same thing for like 10 minutes straight. And then that starts to get to the pain. Uh, why do I push myself so hard? Why am I so addicted to the applause? Why... Is it so important for me to appear a certain way to certain people? Why is the approval of certain people so disproportionately significant to me? And it's like, he just keeps going, you don't have to live like this. And all of these like toxic habits and uh, all of this stuff that I didn't need to be believing or doing, I, it's like the words start to go in somewhere and I get quiet and then it's like the floodgates open up and I start like sobbing. We haven't even ordered lunch yet. And I'm like a wreck and he just keeps doing it. He just keeps repeating it. You don't have to live like this. And a, a, a new future slowly began to open up. Like, oh my word. It's almost like if you hear something repeated a hundred times, you start, hey, you know what? I got this brand new idea. I don't have to live like this. <laughs> it was like this new thing began to well up. Oh, things could be different. I could make changes. It doesn't matter what that person thinks. Uh, I don't have to go do that. I could be free from that. I might even at some point begin to enjoy this again. Uh, something new began to be birthed in me. There's got to be some new way to live and do this work that doesn't kill me. Uh, words have, have this generative power to create new worlds. Sometimes it's a friend of yours in a restaurant repeating the same thing over and over and over again. Sometimes you hear somebody say something and you think, they tell you a story about something they did and you think, you can do that? <laughs> How many times have you heard somebody tell a story of something they did, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, they broke a whole bunch of rules that I've believed were rules that couldn't be broken, but the story they just told, they just marched right on through what I thought were boundaries. Wait, if they can do that, could I then just do this? Like, you can do that? That's possible? Really? That's 
what happens when words create new worlds. You've been told by your tribe, this is how it is. And someone comes along and goes, uh, no, this is how it is. <laughs> and suddenly, wait, wait, that could be how it is? I could do it that way? <gasps> and words create new worlds. By the way, when you think about the materiality of words, interesting that the Bible opens with a poem, Genesis chapter one, and the Bible opens with a, a Hebrew poem in which the poet is talking poetically about creation and how does the poet describe the divine activity in the world. And then God spoke and it happened. And then God said, and there was light. And then God said, and the land and water became two different things. It's like the poet in speaking of the creative activity of the divine in the world uses the imagery of a divine being speaking. Why? Because of the materiality of words. Words create new worlds. And the reason why that poem is so powerful is because you and I have had experiences where somebody spoke something and suddenly we were like, wait, that's true? That's possible? It's like you for years had thought it was one way and then somebody articulated an idea and you went, oh, that's good. Oh, oh, you thought, raise your glasses, so good. All of a sudden, a whole new world opened up. I remember one time uh, I was having lunch with a pastor and uh, I love to talk about the art of the sermon. And I would always ask, whenever I would interact with a pastor, I would say, you know, like, what, do you have a sermon coming up? What are you talking about? Um, why does it matter to you? How did what you're going to say come out of your own experience? And um, what do you want people to see and feel and hear? And I ask all these questions about, and I remember one time I was having lunch with a pastor and he said, what are you, what are you speaking about this weekend? And he said, uh, I'm talking about such and such ideas. Like, I just want people, I just want them to be encouraged. I just want them to feel like they're not like they have some hope that they're gonna they're it's they're they're gonna be okay. I just want them to be encouraged, which is fine. I'm I'm not actually I kind of was saying that mocking kind of wasn't I honestly, but I wasn't. I'm not. It's great, great, great. And this person has helped so many people, and I love it. But it's funny because I was listening to him. He's like, I just want them to be encouraged and to feel supported. And it was funny because as he's saying that, I was thinking about what I was going to say that weekend. And I was like, man, if you would ask me that question, I'd probably say, I pretty much want to blow the roof off the place and show people an entirely new way to think about everything. <laughs> I pretty much want to uh, help create some new worlds and uh, help rescue people from their slavery and jar them and disrupt them in such a way that they would be encouraged, inspired with a whole new way to completely rethink whatever the topic was I was talking about. Uh, yeah, because sometimes that's what you do. Uh, sometimes that's what you do. You're like, oh, we need to create some new worlds here because this old world we need rescued from. Uh, we need new possibilities. Uh, we need people to know they're not alone. We need people to know they're going to be fine. That's all beautiful. And sometimes it's like, no, we need to create a whole new world here. Uh, yeah. You can see in the ancient liturgies why there was often somebody who would announce things to the gathered masses. They would just announce them. 
And it was because they had this belief that you could hear these words, that the world fundamentally fragments you. I mean, think about it, even just following the news right now. How do you follow the news right now and lose your mind at some level? Because it naturally, it has no larger thread, glue, trajectory, or arc. It doesn't have anything like, hey, this is where it's all headed. It just has, here's a thousand little fragments. Good luck. Um, So you can see the power of gathering with people and somebody speaking words over you. Here's an example. Your sins are forgiven. All of you, everybody. You're washing dishes in Wales. You're driving along in South Africa. You're gardening in Germany. You're running errands in Ohio. You're that guy I met in Indianapolis named Zach who discovered the Robcast a couple months ago and he's listened to every single one of them (laughs) in like a month. Oh my word. Yeah. Hey, Zach, your sins are forgiven. You're in Australia. Your sins are forgiven. Yeah. Anybody need to hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody here beating themselves up over all the mistakes they've made? Anybody here deeply aware of what a mess they've made of things? Hey, hey, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, that's the heart. That's the, I mean, the, at the heart of the tradition I come out of, the Jesus tradition, you, you begin there. You begin there. You begin there. How about this one? All is well. All is well, even if it isn't, even if it's a mess. Even if our political process is a freak show, even if uh, the gap between those at the top and those at the bottom is growing, it all is well. How about this one? You can heal from even that. You can be healed of even that. You can heal from that thing that happened to you. You can be healed. Might be, might, might be limping, you might have a scar, but you can heal. Yeah, do you see how the, yeah, words, a tree of life, or how about this one, how about this one? There is a whole new world bursting forth right here in the midst of this one. There is a whole new world bursting forth right here in the midst of this one. Yeah, that's the power of words is they can create new worlds. They can open us up. They can show us what we haven't seen. They can rescue us. They can frame things in a whole new way. You walk into another meeting that you're just like, this is going to just kill, this is going to drain me. I am just a cog in the machine. You say, wait, wait, wait. What if we were to frame the thing totally differently? Yet we're in this meeting. We are three layers down in the muck of the bureaucracy. I am the assistant to the regional manager for compost waste management for the Eastern Division of the Regional Centers Distribution. But you know what? This meeting right now, we're going to frame this in a whole new way. Hey, we have stuff we got to do. Let's kick some ass. Let's breathe some life into this thing. Let's be the very best regional assistant manager team ever in the history of assistant regional manager teams. Something within you just says, wait, I have power here. I have tremendous power. I can create whole new worlds here. I could, we could make this thing something it isn't. And we could start by simply talking 
about it differently. Or your kids. Let's take specifically the kid that's most making you crazy right now. Ask yourself, is there some better way to frame the whole thing? Maybe my job is to think of, find something great about this kid. And it might take a while. <laughs> find something that doesn't annoy me about this kid. Find something that's not frustrating me about this kid. Find something good somewhere in there. Maybe it's something they did a while ago, whatever it is. Take what you can get. And I am going to, to frame my interactions with this kid like this. I'm going to build a different kind of space. And so no matter how difficult and frustrating and nerve wracking it is, you just decide. I have the power through sheer language and words alone to reframe, to build a different kind of space, to reframe this. So that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, my friends, we're just talking about talking. May you, my friends, reclaim the power of words. May you be reminded that uh, the tongue is like a tree of life. And may you come to see that words have materiality. They're like things, that they have framing power, that they have generative power to create whole new worlds. And may grace and peace be with you.